Well, uh, last week uh, we saw where the journey of Abraham uh, began, and it began with the call of God. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, and beginning in verse 1, <clears throat> we read about that call. The Lord had said to Abram, and by the way, he's, as his story begins, his name is Abram. God later changes it to Abraham for various purposes, reasons. We'll get to that when we get to that, that point in the book of Genesis. Um, and, he said, and God said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. As we saw last week, Abram responded to God's call with faith. Uh, faith is something that God desires for all of us, uh, the, the mode in which we, he wants us all to live our Christian lives. Second, Second Corinthians 5, 7, the Apostle Paul writes, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, Abram got a stellar start, a stellar start on his journey as he left Haran and went to the land of Canaan, that land that God had promised to him. But as I mentioned last week, Abram did not turn into a giant of faith overnight, not by any means. Um, he had some serious growing to do. And in this next part of his journey that we're about to see here in the next few moments, uh, he stumbles big time. And that really should be a tremendous encouragement to all of us because none of us become a giant of faith overnight in our own personal journeys. And one of the, one of the amazing things about Scripture, by the way, which is really one of the proofs of the truth of God's Word, is that the Bible never tries to cover up or make excuses for these that we refer to as the heroes of faith, like Abram. And if, in fact, if you took Abram's faith and charted it on a graph, it would not be a, an arrow going straight up and to the right, or, or straight up and to the right, okay? And that it, it would be something more like, you know, and that's a graph that I can relate to. I don't know about you, but that's, that's much more encouraging. Again, we don't become giants of faith overnight. Well, the next part of his journey is found in the second half of Genesis chapter 12. Let's read what happens in beginning with verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. The journey, let's remember, the journey for Abraham had not been easy even up to this point. His father Terah had died along the way. And then when he finally arrived in the land of Canaan, the land of promise, what did he find? It was inhabited by people. Well, God then appeared to him once again and reconfirmed the fact that, yes, this is this land, this land I will give to you. I will, your, your, your descendants will live in this land, will possess this land. And so Abram then journeyed on. But then, whammo. <laughs> A famine, a severe famine hits the land. Now, Egypt was an attractive destination during a famine in, in that part of the world because the Nile River sort of allowed Egypt to serve as sort of a breadbasket for the region. And so Abram gets scared and he runs to Egypt. Now, a, a decision made in faith at that point would have been what? It would have been more like, 
Well, God, I, you know, I, I, I really trust that you are not going to lead me somewhere where you will not provide. So I'm going to wait on you, God, to see how you're going to work this out for us in this process. But Abram, it seems like, just all of a sudden stopped operating by faith completely. And he allowed his troubling circumstances to dictate his decision-making at this point. He took his eyes off of God and focused only on the problem. Do you remember Peter's story? Do you remember specifically his uh, the story of Peter in Matthew chapter 14 when he walked on the water? It just took a few steps, actually. <laughs> we think of Jesus walking on the water, which he did, but the disciples were out in the boat on the sea, and, and it was nighttime, and a windstorm comes up. Jesus had sent them on ahead, and so he had gone up into the hills to pray. So he's walking across the water to meet them. And when the disciples see him, they, they think they're seeing a ghost. So Peter calls out to him, said, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on. <laughs> and so Peter actually stepped out of the boat and took a few initial steps on the water. We forget that he actually did walk on the water just a little bit there. But then what happened? The Bible tells us when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. In other words, when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? He got scared. He got frightful. He started to sink. He focused on the circumstances around him instead of on Jesus. You know, again, in the first half of Genesis 12, Abram seems so focused upon God. He's willing to wait on God. He's willing to walk in faith. He's willing to trust in God. He's willing to submit to God for God's directions. But again, now confronted by the circumstance of this famine, it's like he just totally and completely leaves God out and runs to Egypt. He, he makes this desperate decision in order to survive. But... That survival also involves deception. Verse 11, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. You see, Abram thinks this is going to be his ticket to safety, and he's exactly right. I mean, what the Egyptians, their, their custom was, you know, if they saw a beautiful woman, Pharaoh kind of had his Girl Scouts out. I mean, not his Girl Scouts, but his, his, his guys scouting girls out to look for more additions to his harem. And so if they saw a woman, they thought that would make a nice addition to, to, to Pharaoh's harem. Uh, if, if she was married, they would kill the husband and take the woman. But if she was a sister, they would negotiate with the brother and then take her, but they would let him live. And so he's exactly right. And guess what? We are told later on in Genesis 20 that Sarai is actually Abram's half-sister. His half-sister. They share the same father, but had different mothers. I remember I told you last week that, you know, families in those days were, you know, kind of like listening to the song by Ray Stevens, I Am My Own Grandpa. <laughs> right, you remember that? Uh, well, in that culture, actually, Abram, uh, when he came out of the, the Mesopotamian culture, in that culture, it was actually a, a, a status symbol for a man to be married to his half-sister. So it was, it was not an uncommon thing by any means. 
So, in a sense, what's Abram doing? He is justifying himself by saying, by saying that, that he is telling a half-truth. But a half-truth is equal to what? A whole lie. <laughs> it's just that when we tell half-truths, it makes us feel better. I mean, when we tell whole lies, it makes us feel better that they're half-truths, right? Well, he's fearful, anxiously anticipating the worst that could happen with no idea that it's all about to blow up in his face. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. God's mighty hand. That is, keep your focus on him, and he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. But Abram was only focused on his circumstances. He puts God's entire promise at risk just to save his own skin. And, and folks, aren't we just like that? And when it comes to saving your own skin, you know, a little bit of deception, some half-truths, I mean, can come in pretty handy, can't they? <laughs> well, sure enough, verse 14, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Abram, this is amazing. Abram has given a very rich supply of treasure. And that's the way it can be with sin. Can it not? The book of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 25, refers to the fleeting pleasures of sin. But friends, if that's where your life is right now, enjoying the pleasures of sin, please understand, as one commentator writes, if, that sin only works if there is no tomorrow. But tomorrow always comes. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's more like, oh, me, right? Mark 8, 36, Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Well, even though Abram was faithless, we see that God was faithful. Verse 17, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. Now, we have, we have no clue as to what these diseases were at this point, but, but you know, whatever they were, Pharaoh was very quickly able to put two and two together. In verse 18, so Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Everything he had. Now when you first read this, you think, well, is God condoning Abraham's deception here? Is he condoning Abram's sin? 
I mean, it seems like it's, it's a pretty sweet deal for Abram at this point, does it not? I mean, he survives the famine, he survives Pharaoh, he gets his wife Sarah back, and he walks away with all kinds of riches. He walks away a rich man, all kinds of livestock and servants and camels. So is God condoning Abraham's sin? No, he's not. You know, there, there's a, a fascinating passage found in, in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel where God's people have messed up in, in another way, but big time. And God does not overlook their sin, but he does choose to rescue them in spite of it. And then he goes on to explain his reason for doing so. Listen to what he says. Ezekiel 36, verse 21. God says, I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. See, God rescued them, rescued them because of his name, because his word, his word was at stake. I, I think God does that for us sometimes, does he not? But for his holy name, not for ours, that's for sure. God rescued Abram out of concern for his, for God's holy name, to preserve the purpose for which God had called him. Now, that does not mean there were no consequences. They're not real obvious at this point, but they, they will be later. Abram has no clue. You see, all, those, all that livestock, all the livestock and the camels that he walked away with, I, it, actually, we're going to see next week how all, those, all that stuff is going to become such a source of conflict between him and his nephew Lot that the family is going to break apart, completely apart. And also, remember, in that list of all that Pharaoh gave to Abraham, did you catch the fact that, in that li among that list were also female servants, one of whom's name was Hagar. Hagar later becomes the object of another great failure of Abram's faith, a source of tremendous heartache within the family, not to mention the fact that she becomes, the, the, in essence, the mother of, of the Arab people. And guess what? To this very day, they remain in conflict with the Jews. <laughs> but there's also an immediate consequence Look back again at verse 17 to 19. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now here she is. Here's your wife. Take her and go. I mean, three times. One time, what? Two times, why? But Abram... Has no answer, does he? I mean, what could he say at that point? He lied to save his own skin. He lied because he was afraid. He lied because he just simply wouldn't trust God in that moment of crisis. He decided he just couldn't wait on God. He lied because he thought it was an easy way out. Well, think about that picture. Pharaoh confronting, I mean, I mean, I mean, letting Abram have it. Here, here is this great man of faith being rebuked by a godless pagan king. 
for his lack of integrity. <laughs> How tragic is that? And God forbid that the world who does not really know our God but knows just enough would look at any of our lives and say, what is going on with you? What is your deal? See, our actions and our words can confuse them about who our God really is. In fact, that's the very reason these days why the term evangelical can, can hardly really be used because it has such a negative connotation. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Be careful. Be careful. 1 John 4, 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Friends, do not be deceived by the false spirits, spirits who, who want to lead you away from the truth but make you think they're leading you to the truth. False spirits. Again, Paul says, be careful how you live. Live wisely. Keep your focus on the one true God. Well, because of his lack of faith, Abram Again, the, the one man that God chose out of all the men in the entire world to be the father of the nation of Israel is humiliated, humiliated before this pagan king. But you know what the greatest tragedy was? Think back. What was God's covenant? I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. But Abraham leaves the people of Egypt not having been a blessing, but having been a curse, a curse. Friends, in, in the same way, we have to realize that our sin, when we sin, it, it is never committed in a vacuum. Just like Abram, our sin can lead to consequences, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. You may think that whatever you're doing is not hurting anyone else, but that's only because your vision is being restricted by the pleasure of your sin. See, the pleasure of your sin is so strong that you don't want to entertain any possibility that the consequences of that sin could extend beyond yourself. We don't sin in a vacuum. So, Abraham leaves he goes but he goes back toward the promised land he goes back to the land he never should have left his head is bowed his shoulders are slumped having been thoroughly humbled by the hand of god
And I'm guessing that there may have been a little more humbling that took place on the way back. Just pure speculation on my part. But what do you think Sarai may have said to him? The long trek across the Sinai Desert? Or worst of all, maybe she didn't say anything. Maybe it was just deathly quiet the whole way back. Well, to his credit, Abraham did respond well to his humiliation. Psalm 119, verse 71 says, It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. I suspect that many of us could stand here today and give a testimony of how it was through affliction that you learned some of your biggest lessons in your life of faith along the way. Abram turns back to faith. Chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place, <coughs> pardon me, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Remember what we said last, last week, that that phrase means that he called on the name of the Lord. It means that he worshiped God. And I have no doubt that as Abram worshiped God, that he thanked the Lord for his love, that he thanked the Lord for his patience, that he thanked the Lord for a second chance, a second chance. You see, Abram was not only learning about faith, but he was also learning about the greatness of the grace of God. And that's a good thing, because he's going to need it again, (laughs) and again, and again, and again. My goodness, (laughs) aren't you glad that God is patient with us too? Aren't you glad that God is still the God of the second chance? And the third and the fourth and the fifth and on and on and on it goes. God never, never gives up on you. Never. As it's been said, as long as you still have a heartbeat, as long as you still have a heartbeat, you can still turn back to the Lord. When famines in life come, remember that God has not abandoned you. Take your eyes off the circumstances and put them back upon him. Focus upon him. God invites you to walk by faith, to trust in him, to cast all your anxiety and fear upon him. And I want to ask you this morning, take these two verses with you as you leave today. And take them into your heart. In other words, memorize these two verses. Because these verses are verses that you'll find find them very, very helpful in, in times of both famine and blessing. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Let's pray. Lord, those verses are, are our prayer today. Whether we personally find ourselves in a time of famine or a time of blessing, we thank you that you never give up on us, that we can trust in you, that we can take our eyes off our circumstances and trust in you and lean upon you and not on our own understanding. That only leads to trouble. Father, as we acknowledge you today, we ask that you would truly continue to direct our paths in a way that will honor and bring glory to Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.